Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is Larry Brinker with the Brinker Group, and he is uh, responsible for a fleet for over $4 billion in construction projects. And we're going to get a chance to talk to him about his journey and how uh, he's navigated having, obviously, a lot of success. And But I, we really want to get to the heart of the lessons along the way, because we believe in the beauty of the struggle. We believe in the disruption. The disruption lies at in the journey. It lies in the struggle. So, Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure so I, to be here. Yeah. So you are from Detroit, Michigan. Are you a Lions fan? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, a weird question to start with, but go. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to laugh first. So I was born and raised in Pontiac, Michigan, which ironically uh, was the home of the Pontiac Silverdome for you know many years, where the Lions played yeah. prior to moving to Detroit. Uh, with that being said, uh, yes, I I am a uh, uh, Pontiac, you know, uh, born and raised, uh, uh, person. And, and currently my business is in Detroit. Uh, the lions, I don't necessarily drink the Kool-Aid, but, um, but you're hey. not a lions fan. You don't, you don't claim them. You're not claiming them. <laughs> I, I don't claim them. I don't claim them. <laughs> so who do you claim? Like, this is a very important question. Oh man. Really... You know, uh, See, look, look, I will, I, I stayed a Bengals fan even through the hard times. It was, it was very like the Bengals and the lions had a very similar history until recently, but so it's, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I understand how you feel actually. So what I would say with the lions is uh, the fact that like, they're winning now, which is great. I love the grit. I love what they represent. It's just, I mean, years of of weekly letdowns. You just have to let it go sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am slowly getting back onto the bandwagon, but overall, uh, it's great for the city. It's unbelievable to see how much a city gets behind a team. I mean, we went 0-16 one year. And every game was still sold out. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm back on the bandwagon advance. a bit. All right. All right. You're back on the bandwagon. <laughs> so let, let's talk. Uh, I, I really think you learn a lot about people when you when you get to meet like one of their defining moments. So I'm curious to 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 hear your defining moment, like a moment you had where it was a really tough moment. Uh, it could be a, a, a moment that was uh, transformational, but it's a moment that you, 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 you saw that you had to figure out a way forward or there wasn't or, or it was going to be, you know, complete failure or it was just it wasn't it wasn't going to be something that you accept. Walk us through what that moment was for you. Yeah, um, I feel like I have several, but uh, OK, what's the first the one, one that, that comes to mind? The one that comes to mind for me is excuse me, is COVID. Um, COVID the okay. fact that uh, uh, I, unfortunately, I was one of the first 65 people in the state of Michigan with COVID, right? Which was oh, wow. super that, scary. Not how you want to make history, but go ahead. Yeah, no, not at all. And uh, it, it was uh, like the first week of March. And what happened was I ended up becoming very sick, um, spent a couple of days in the hospital and uh, from there, I was fortunate to recover, although I had some friends who at the same time caught it that didn't didn't uh, really survive it, which was unfortunate. But um, after coming out of COVID, it made me look at things a bit differently as it related to our company. Um, and a lot of it was really navigating through how do we continue to operate a company? 
while keeping people safe at the same time. And it's a difference in construction safety when you think about, hey, we want yeah. we want to go go home every day same way they came. But when you think about COVID, we were looking at literally the idea that myself, my father, any of our key employees, any of our staff, period, could tomorrow get sick and not be here. Excuse me. And so with that being said, uh, the defining moment for us was, uh, was do we continue operating our company as we always have, right? Or do we really uh, look at how we can be transformative and uh, flexible to make sure that we're keeping people safe, but we're putting our, our, our people first and foremost. And so uh, from that perspective, it was one of those things where we were one of the first companies to shut down. That was a decision that I made early on. I was actually still in the hospital at that point when I made that, that call. Um, but not just that, but um, I would say we uh, were one of the first companies prior to knowing if there would be help from the government or anything else to say, hey, we were gonna keep everyone on payroll. We wanted to keep everybody at home safe. And whatever losses we incurred, we were willing to uh, to accept that just based on the fact of how close it hit us. Um, and so a defining moment from that perspective was really um, not necessarily uh, uh, taking what I would say is the easy route. And then also being one of the first to make a decision like that, which is during those times of COVID was really something that we had never faced. So the fact that right. we were talking about shutting down a construction company, telling our clients that we were shutting down our job sites, those were not easy conversations. How'd that go? Had. I mean, it's it's it became an easier conversation, mm -hmm. I imagine, when 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 the, the governments follow with that decision, but you made that decision before it it was mainstream. How did you walk through a conversation like that with clients like that seems like a hard conversation? Yeah, so uh, I can joke about it now, but the week leading up to me testing positive, I actually had meetings with, I would say, 70% of my clients. Oh, damn. They're in person? In person. So they all and got so, COVID. Well, they didn't get COVID, but it was a situation where they were pretty worried. So they started shutting down their offices due to the exposure. So it hit home a bit different for them as well. Um, but it was still a different conversation when you talk about their own offices compared to their dollars. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Right. And so uh, that's when you really some, get to see people's principles, not when people what they and say, real values and right? real values. Like when you have to actually sacrifice something for real. Absolutely. Those are your values, not what yeah. you say your values are, but what you're willing to sacrifice shows your values. Absolutely. So for the most part, it went over well. Um, it was it was so fluid and and, and so fast moving. Uh, by the time some of our, our clients had an opportunity to even digest it. I mean, we were a couple of days past the conversation and things had progressed even more. So um, fortunately, it went well. Uh, I feel like from that perspective, we definitely save save some lives, most yeah. likely. Uh, we have about 500 people that work for us on a daily basis. Wow. And um, and when you look at our COVID numbers as a company, we're pretty proud that through that 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 hardest time from March through, say, 
June, July, we were pretty low in terms of uh, positive cases. Um, did it make another, you think about your mortality a little bit more? I know it did for oh, me. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. I mean, so, it, so I have to tell you, Rob. But, but, but finish that point too. When you're, after you're done with that, go ahead. You were finished. Yeah. So, oh, no, no, no. So I have to tell you, um, I'm 43. I was 40 at the time. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and up until that point, I never thought about my own mortality. Right. Yeah. We usually don't. Right. And it wasn't until I went to the hospital and I was, excuse me, I was locked in a, a, an uh, isolation room with no human contact whatsoever. I had a nurse come check on me once every four to five hours. And I was in the hospital for two and a half days. And uh, it's not until you're in that room by yourself and you really don't know what's going on. People are, are coming in when they do come in, terribly afraid that it makes you start to look at things differently and say, wow, like, I mean, this is not only serious, but the fact that you don't have your family to support you, uh, you don't have your friends, you don't have human contact, which, which, which by itself goes a long way, yeah. um, really made me think about uh, my own mortality. I mean, those, uh, nights that I were that those, uh, two nights I was in the hospital. I mean, I, I spent all night, both nights praying just, Hey, if for some reason I'm not here tomorrow, uh, that hopefully I've done, uh, all of the things that I needed to do while I was here to make, make sure that I was in a good place. So, yeah. uh, as, as a 40 year old, those are tough, uh, thoughts. Uh, and tough and uh, tough experiences um, that most times we don't have to face until we get older, right? Yeah. So uh, did it did it make you approach anything differently in terms of how you do business uh, or your Absolutely. personal life? Like, so talk about that. Like, what? How did that make you change in terms <laughs> of your day to day execution practices or just personal uh, living habits? Yeah. So from a business perspective. I uh, put more of of a focus on work life balance first and foremost, right? Because uh, no matter how much money you make, how much success you have, right? The only thing you leave this earth with uh, is you're leaving people with the memories that you have had with that person or those people, and it made me think that we oftentimes spend so much time worried about work or stressing about things we can't control um, and always on this constant chase for achievement and success, which is great. But at the end of the day, the most precious thing you have is your time. You can't sell it. You can't trade it. You can't buy it. Right. It's the most precious commodity. And it made me think more about the work life balance for my employees. Like I try to do everything possible to make sure that they understand that I support them. Um, if there's events they have with their children or their family uh, that takes away from, from work, I, I understand. My whole thing is, hey, you have a job to do as long as you get it done. I'm okay with that, but I'm never, I'm never, I'm never, as you I can with your loved ones. How do you do that? Like, but like, how have you found the balance with work-life balance? Seriously, like what are, 
practical things you do. I haven't found this balance yeah. yet. So I'm asking so, for somebody for me, that like, cause you've obviously yeah. had success. For and me, it obviously man, has it's very hands. intentional. It's, okay. it's, it's very intentional. Um, it used to be where I would kind of have uh, uh, a little bit of guilt when I would go on vacations or I would travel or just decompress. Uh, my role as CEO and president, I can never just turn it off, right? I, exactly. Like I can think back to, I was in the Maldives one time uh, for my 40th actually. Um, and uh, I was there for two weeks and literally I was answering emails and taking yeah. calls Part in the, the Maldives, game. right? Um, but what I've learned to do though, is really be more intentional on on what, what, what brings me joy and uh, doing that. And for me, it's traveling where yeah. I feel at this point um, I can be present with my company. I've done a great job of, of establishing an executive team that makes sure that from our strategic vision to our daily tasks are executed in a way where it gives me more time that I can still do things that I like to do, but also it allows right. me to have a pulse on the company still. Um, and post COVID, right? Like now we're on Zoom. There's so much you can do and not necessarily be in the office every day and still get your work done and uh, be successful. So uh, for me, the work-life balance has been more just the intentionality of, of getting up and going because when I come back, I'm rejuvenated, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so do you have that? any habits that you do that keep you grounded or or motivated or streamlined that, that are really important for, for you as an executive? Man, I would say for me, it's the values of my family. Uh, my father's so, well, so, so, so what happens? So let's talk about that. Yeah, so you yeah. still, uh, you know, at a, at a, at a funeral, uh, I heard this statement and I, and I repeated it at my sister's funeral as well as my grandmother's funeral, as well as at my grandmother's funeral, you know, uh, uh, the days are long, but the years are short. And Absolutely. so, right. But so it's very, I think it, it takes some very intentional work to be present and intentional day in and day out and not let the years go by. What is it that you do to be intentional then with your family to keep those? Do you have any like habits that root you in that? Um, Excuse me. Uh, I would say I don't necessarily think I have any habits that root me in uh, to that more than it is me never forgetting where my family comes from. Right. right. And uh, so I say that because uh, my mother is one of nine. My father is one of 10. So I grew up with a ton of. So you're not married. You're not married. Cousins. Divorce. Divorce. Okay. Yeah. That's that. That's so you're, you're, you're talking about your, 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 the, the, the infrastructure you come from, from your family and you have a strong yes. family background. Got it. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And so my mother comes from, uh, uh, you have kids. Uh, I have two boys. Okay. Two boys. Yep. Yeah. And so just coming from a large family like that, we always really, uh, were super close. Right. But when you think about the story of my grandfather, my father's father, uh, my grandparents migrated from Tupelo, Mississippi during the Jim Crow era yep. to go up to Michigan to have an opportunity to work. Right. So my yep. grandfather worked in the factory. Uh, my grandparents had uh, uh, middle school to lower high school educations um, and raised 10 kids off of a factory salary. Right. 
Um, wow. And my father tells the story that um, we that they never had much money, but they were rich in love. They were always rich in love, right? And me growing up as the grandchild, I got a chance to see that. Right. And so the success that we've had in our business has been amazing. But for myself and my father, we're still uh, two guys that grew up in this family that didn't have much. My father's story is no different. Um, my mother and father were high school sweethearts, uh, went to prom together and all right. that stuff, went off to school. And my mother uh, got pregnant with me their sophomore year. So my father had to drop out of school and figure out a career and uh, decided he wanted to become a carpenter. And my father's a laborer. So we have a lot in common. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, basically uh, went through apprenticeship school, became an apprentice, and then he went on to be a uh, journeyman. Yep. And a foreman after that. Yep. And after about eight or nine years, decided he wanted to create his own company. And and that is um, such an awesome story. You know, I want to. Yeah. Uh, so part of what I do, I'm also in um, with the Labor's International Union and okay. I work muscle. My father has had a similar experience and he's 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 not an exec, executive with the Labor's International Union. But what I think is so important about what you said is I think a, a lot of black businesses, I'm going to say it straight, what we get <laughs> wrong and I think trying to skip the process. Absolutely. There is no shortcut. Like your father, yeah. what you just went through, like I know a lot, so many people <laughs> specifically in construction, right? It's, it's a central problem that I see with black owned company. I'm just being straight mm -hmm. up, right? I agree. Some of us go straight to it. We're like, okay, we just want to get straight to be mm -hmm. getting the $10 million contract. And what they do mm -hmm. is they shortcut it, letting somebody yep. else be the lead and they, yep. and they don't build the, they don't build the skill set. They don't build the infrastructure. They don't build the knowledge capability and the business acumen of what it takes to build the business. Right. And then when the contracts go away, as they always do, because they're just going to use mm -hmm. you for that. Yep. You're, you're, you're right back to where it. you were. Right. right. So you, your father, I just, this is very important, right? He went through and actually got, cause we, we, we get criticism, like, you know, whether union, non-union, no matter what, like we, I believe in union, mm -hmm. obviously, but no matter what you need training, <laughs> you need yeah, to absolutely. understand what you're doing and, and so there's merit in training and training yourself in the workforce and people want to jump out without any level of necessary expertise and what they do. This is obviously not the case across the board, right. but I've seen this abuse oh. so much, <laughs> right? Yep. That I just think is, 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 is worth pointing out that there's no skipping the process. Everybody looks at social media and says that, you know, that people think this stuff is instant. And you're comparing yourself to, to 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 another person's journey that you probably don't know the details of. Exactly. So I just, I just yeah. think it's a yeah. really and, great point. Yeah. And uh, so what's interesting is he uh, started the first company and then got opportunity, which was uh, the first company that he did was drywall and metal stud. Second company that he got an opportunity to create was a general contracting construction management company. And then after that, um, he ended up creating a glass and glazing company um, and then a, car a carpet and, uh, excuse me, carpet and flooring company. And then we acquired our electrical company in 2011. Yeah. Um, and it was all based on just the opportunities, but to do it the right way, like you said. So he took the risk. He didn't have a minority 
partner who was bankrolling the operation and yeah. really making and, and the most calls of the time and the money. Exactly. Because most of the time it's yeah. bullshit. Most of the time right. it is. Right, right, right. It's, it, it's a front. Front it's a most front. times, right? Most of the time yeah. it's a front. Right. And uh, so it's funny when you say you can't cheat the process, right? Because even my own journey, although I didn't have the same journey as my father, uh, I went to uh, college for what I'm doing now. So yep. um, University of Michigan, so when environmental engineering. Um, I'm electrical engineering. That's my degree. Nice. Eeks. All yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And uh, so when I was done, though, um, and I worked for the company, I started entry level. And I literally have held at least 80% of the job roles in our business. And not just that, but when my father felt it was time to train me for leadership, he ended up bringing in a guy who uh, had recently sold his construction company to an international company. And he brought him in as president. It was a four-year program from day one. We knew it would be a four-year program. Yeah. He brought him in to train me. And this That's guy, awesome. Uh, uh, Jim Cole had over 40 to 50 years of experience at that point. And so year one, I was a fly on the wall. I was in meetings. I was, yeah, didn't know which way was up and I was meeting. Your father and my father would get along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, met, met his contacts. I was building my own contacts, but I was in meetings, just understanding the dynamics of leadership. Um, <clears throat> year two, started to get a little bit more comfortable understanding certain things still take and i am locked in step with them shoulder to shoulder we're in meetings together we're planning together and by year three i really was was uh was beginning to feel very comfortable where at that point he would ask me hey here's a situation we have what would you do what do you want to do and he would have me answer and if I was off base, he would walk me through why I was off base. Um, but it helped me get an opportunity to have the cognitive thinking needed for leadership, but have a backstop where it was a where it was a free flowing, comfortable environment for me to learn and do so. And then uh, also, man, it was tough. I mean, it was many nights. I was up to three, four in the morning reviewing 300 page contracts yeah. to to like put my own notes to and comments to come back and sit with him that next morning at 8 a.m. to walk him through my con um my comments to uh see if if I was correct if I was off base and he would walk me through if it was something I missed or something I looked at differently but it taught me so much during those three years and then the fourth year was really at a point where he was like, hey, I'm here. I'm a figurehead. Uh, you make the calls. Right. I'm not. And if you're wrong, I'm not even going to tell you you're wrong. Right. I'm not going to let you get too uh, far off base. But if I have to take the heat, I'll take the heat. And uh, so by year. Mm -hmm, go ahead. What point in the relationship? Because I've had this with my father, too. But what point in the relationship uh, did it maybe the dynamic change? Because obviously he's a mentor, mentee father figure but then it comes a point where you also i'm sure bring different ideas different concepts oh where you can you can push back me, I, on I, on things that are, yeah, yeah like how to get to that tell point. me how that dynamic so it's oh. not there yet you're still not there I'm not curious. there yet no yeah, so 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 year four was at the point where i was so you're not there you guys are still on okay yeah so year four we're still like i'm still training um 
making decisions for the company under the guise of my mentor who was brought in to train me. Right. And so uh, by the end of year four, I was like, okay, I'm charged up, ready to go. Like, let's do this. And so when it was time to make the transition, when my mentor retired and I assumed the, the, the position at the time of president, uh, it wasn't like I had a deer in headlights sure, sure. feeling. I was like, all right, I know what I want to do. I have a plan. Yeah. And then our, like my first year, I saved our company almost $650,000 by just renegotiating some of our like contracts with a few of our employees that were just bad contracts. Right. And it gave right. the, the employees more money to take home, but it saved us money on our side as well. Um, and so, uh, so then that led into the transition from me being the understudy to now the leader, right. now having to interface directly with my father as the leader of the company. Right. Right. And what I love about my father is that he's never been a guy that's been overbearing. Oftentimes when you think about those transitions from G1 to G2, yeah, it's, it's tough, extremely it's tough. tough, right? It's tough, man. The, the best thing that happened to me was my father going out to hire someone to train me yeah. so we could maintain our father-son relationship, which is amazing. Exactly. Um, but then it allowed me to do all of the stuff that I needed to do behind the curtain. So when I was in this role, he could respect me differently and not look at me just as his son but know that I was ready for the task at hand. And so, um, uh, as, so as we progressed through that, um, it was very soon thereafter that I started challenging some of the status quo processes or things that the company had. But that's the place. What happened there? Like what um, was, the, was there had to be some challenge there because <clears throat> people who are, you know, <clears throat> are used to a certain way and, how did that work out? Like, how did you go through so, that tension? To my father's credit, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was uh, very easy, actually. Um, okay. So I remember vividly. He did that, a good job. I guess it's that you kind of answered the question because that four year in between kind of helped provide some buffer versus being like an immediate thing <laughs> and kind of like yeah. a culture shock. Your father properly so, and you also properly took the instruction because people, you could have said like, I'm ready to go, but, but. I really respect the fact that the generational wealth building and the building to keeeping that legacy, part of what we also should not be ashamed of as black people is our, our, our story is not a poverty story. That's not like, right. I, I, I feel as if sometimes we are shamed in certain rooms if we've had any success or any opportunities handed or, or I guess provided by uh, our father and our parents. And my thing is like, that's the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like and, that's and what so, we are aiming so, for. L- so literally. It is, so it is the point. It is what most cultures do. Yes. Right? Only and, we shame each other for it. This is what I'm right. getting at. <laughs> like right. it's, and, it's, yeah. And I think for me, um, over the last two or three years, I've been unapologetic about that. It should be. Right? I've gotten that and, way too. I'm like, I tell people, did my father help me? Yes. Did he do everything? No. But the point of a parent is literally the only job, I think, is to make sure your kids <clears throat> start from a better place than you did and have more knowledge you, than you did. That's it. Absolutely. That's yeah, the job. And, and, and what I say with that, Rob, is, and I just had this, this uh, conversation last week. 
it's great to have the opportunity, right? So what my father did for me, what I'm doing for my kids is providing that opportunity. But once you get that opportunity, you still it still requires hard work. Hard, hard, hard work. work. Yeah, we to be able to time. be successful, right? I mean, Absolutely. it is hard. It's, it's like, really hard. Too. Like, yeah. And so and I think people think because you had an opportunity, that makes it easy. That's no, not and true. Most, like most times it makes it harder, right? Because I can tell you growing up through the company as I was rising in my career, I was always looked at differently than the rest of, of the employees because they were waiting on me to mess up or they were waiting on me to not work as hard. And so I always had to be twice as good, work twice as hard, just so I was never viewed as, hey, this is just the son of the owner. And kudos and, to your father for uh, for also instilling that in you because, you know, you could have viewed it from an entitlement point of view. You could have. Right. That's not an uncommon thing for anybody uh, to to do. So that's and the harder part is going to be for your kids to get that because the third generation. That's the tough one. That's the tough part because <laughs> they've never had. That, that is the tough one. Yeah, because like we we sound like we come from similar places. Like I, I didn't grow up rich, but I wasn't poor. Right. We were middle mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. And then my parents started doing a little better uh, later in life. Mm-hmm. But kids that have always had generally like it's a little bit different, right? Because it's it's actually harder, more challenging to raise your kids if you have it's, it's, it's really hard if you don't have enough resources. Yeah, That's so, true. But if you have so, a little more than most, then it becomes challenging to keep your kids expectations. Yeah. From not being entitled. Like I can just tell you absolutely. what I struggle with. So. Yeah. So, so for me growing up, that, that truly was the best part of like my, my like childhood was that I got a chance to see two, two sides to life basically. Right. And I say that because we grew up very much, I would say lower middle class. Uh, As my father was starting the business, it was oftentimes that he, where he wouldn't take paychecks, right? That's how it works, especially right? if you start off. Yeah. And I got then, a tech startup. Believe me, that's how it's yeah. still working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then by like, I would say around the time I was seventh grade, um, my parents wanted to put me into private school, Yeah, um, which was the best thing that happened for me. But I remember being that kid, I would get notices sent home that if my tuition wasn't paid in two weeks or a week, I couldn't come back to school. Right. So I saw that side of it. It wasn't until high school that the, you had that uh, David Chappelle life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, you don't, sure. feel, you don't, you don't feel any different until you go around people that actually have money. Like, right. Oh. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And uh, so, so high school, like junior high, high school, private school, I had my friends from the neighborhood where I lived. But then I had my friends from school who were living in the suburbs and I would go to their house and they had indoor gyms and indoor pools in their house. This is back in the 90s, right? Early 90s. But then I would come back to the neighborhood and we would try to figure out how to scrum up $5 to go get some juice and and cookies, right? And so I got a chance to see both sides. But what it did for me was that it normalized the fact that it's okay to have nice things. It's okay to strive for that. So it gave me the sense of drive that, hey, I want to not only take the opportunity that I have, but I want to grow that. But also with that, there's things that I I like that I know that I've seen that I want to accomplish. And uh, and that's been one of the biggest drivers for me is like, I don't like to lose. 
I love to win. Um, I like to prove people wrong. Yeah. And ultimately, everything that I'm doing is for the betterment of our family as a whole. Uh, so my parents, my sister, uh, my kids, my future grandkids at some point, et cetera. But also at the same time, bettering the lives of people around me too, where like, it's no fun if you're the one winning and you look and everyone else is losing, but how, but how can I take the opportunity that I've been provided to pull people up with me in various ways, which is what we've done um, through our core business, through our, uh, giving, uh, scholarships, list goes on, but it's just a core value and principle. All right. I want to get to some, uh, rapid fire questions as we get ready to conclude. Uh, what's your most, um, what's your most important cop, uh, accomplishment or highlight from both, uh, uh, personally we'll say, but also for the business with Brinker, like, what is it? Yeah. Um, personally, I would say it's just, man, raising my two boys, man. And, uh, being there for them, uh, although um, I'm busy to yeah. carve out that time that I still make time to make sure that I'm at their, their sports games, their events uh, for school, et cetera. So it's just being a good father, first and foremost. Um, professionally, I would say the biggest accomplishment has really been uh, just the fact of being able to establish my own name, recognition and respect in the market after my father. Right. right. Um, All right. Um, what advice would you give your younger self and what advice would you ignore? <laughs> uh, advice to give my younger self, be patient, be patient. What advice would you um, ignore? Ignore. Um, hmm, that's a good one. Uh, it's okay to disrupt. All right. That's a good choice. All right. How about, how about what is, what's an important truth you have that very few people agree with you on? Wow. Man. Um, I can tell you uh, an important truth that I have that I've been amplifying over the last year and I'm going to continue to amplify. I can't necessarily say people disagree with me on it, but it's the fact that one of my, my goals at this point is really to uh, to help people become comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations. And I say that because like when you think about uh, what we we face as a like as a black people, oftentimes the conversations aren't aren't had as it re- relates to the history from from slavery to Jim Crow to segregation and uh, the like. Uh, drug laws and all of the stuff that comes with it of just just all of the stuff that has kind of been put in motion to put us in a place that we've been in that we are always playing catch up. Right. And I feel that if people are more comfortable having those uncomfortable conversations, it will allow us to have empathy for each other in different ways that then helps to unite us as a people, right? Right. Look at how divisive things are right now. Oftentimes it's because people don't understand 
the history or where we come from or what we've done or what that person has has gone through. And as a re- result, you live in this world of of like just what you know, but you don't really have an opportunity to understand the next person. Yeah. So. All right. Final question. Uh, your model a logo that says who you are summarizes what you believe. What would that model be and why? Oh, man, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I would I would say integrity uh, respect, faith, and love. All right, Larry Brinker, good to have you on, man. Thank you. It's uh, been a pleasure, Rob, and I wish you the best with uh, what you have going and with your podcast and Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of it today.